Well, uh, I hope you enjoyed the video clip that we saw earlier on. And the question at the beginning of that was, can you handle the truth? Can you handle the truth? And I'm about to uh, speak uh, from this passage in John 18 on page 1087. You might want to find it. And I'm going to do the same. And obviously John 18 is in, is in the Bible, a book that Christians believe to be true. In fact, there is a whole load of historical evidence to say that the events recorded in this Bible, in this book, are indeed true. And it's written about a man who really lived uh, called Jesus. And Jesus claimed to be the truth. In the passage we've just read, Jesus has already been tried in a Jewish uh, kangaroo court, And now he's standing in front of Pilate, the Roman governor, who is another genuine historical figure that we know about. And yet we don't have to look very hard at this passage to find out that what's going on here is not really that Jesus is on trial. But the fact is that we are on trial. And the question that we have before us is, can we handle the truth? Can we handle the truth about this Jesus of Nazareth? this son of a carpenter, this miracle worker, this healer, this teacher, this guy who's managed to change the whole course of human history in less than 33 years. Think about that. If you want to be competitive for a moment uh, and you want to make as much impact on the world as Jesus has done, then some of you only got 15 or 20 years left. Some of us have blown it already. (laughs) But this question keeps coming back to us tonight. Can we handle the truth about Jesus? Why is it such a difficult question? Well, firstly, I think because the truth can be painful sometimes. So look down in 38, in verse 38 of chapter 18, and Pilate asks this question, doesn't he? What is truth? It's a good question. We saw some of those answers uh, that the friends of the cipher guys uh, had come up with. Truth is truth, isn't it? Truth is to love and achieve. You can't define truth. It's what it is. What are you on about? Truth is to provide for my family, and so on. Lots of things. Now, it can seem easier sometimes just to dodge the question, uh, like Robbie Williams did. Truth is boring, he said. You don't want to hear about that. It's much more fun driving into lampposts. It was him, wasn't it? <laughs> or uh, you might say something like, uh, the truth is to provide for my family, dodging the question. Well, it's not. Hard graft, nine to five, is what it means to provide for my family. Work appraisals, promotions, demotions, money in, money out. That's providing for your family. Well, it might be easier uh, to say what many people say in our society, which is that truth is different for different people. There is no such thing as universal truth, the same truth for everyone. And I wonder why that idea is so attractive. Well, it shows that we are tolerant, doesn't it? It shows that we can believe what I, or what I believe, I can believe what I believe, and you can believe what you believe, and, and that's all fine. We can all just get along. Truth is different for different people. And somebody said to me on Thursday evening, just this last Thursday evening, they said to me, well, all roads lead to the same place, don't they? So we call that pluralism, the idea that there are many ways or plural ways uh, to get to the truth. You know, so that Buddhism and Islam and Christianity, Judaism, Hinduism, even in a way, I guess, humanism, they all essentially say the same thing, don't they? That love people, don't kill Be good to others, and they'll be good to you, and all that sort of thing. And the problem with that kind of popular pluralism pluralism, 
is that you only have to actually spend a few minutes looking into the, the claims of the major religions or even humanism to work out that they're completely incompatible with each other. So Christians, for example, believe that Jesus is God. Muslims believe that he was a man. He was just a prophet. Jews believe that he falsely claimed to be the Messiah. In other words, he lied. They're competing truth claims, aren't they? They can't all be true. Uh, Clever pluralists get around this by saying that we're all wrong. All the world's religions have got their primary teachings wrong. In essence, it's not all about the detail, not all about the small print, but it's actually just about trying to seek uh, uh, and to explore human spirituality in a way that appeals to our hearts in some way. So, for example, we use symbols, don't we? Like, so in Christianity, we use bread and wine uh, to, to convey some sort of sense of Jesus' death and resurrection. And in the similar ways, uh, uh, Buddhism and Islam, and they all have their ritual, and it's all some kind of mediation around the experience of ultimate reality, whatever that means, without truly describing anything or, or laying down any concrete terms. So sophisticated to pluralism, if you like, it's great. It offers people what many people want to actually say. It's a way of thinking about all religions and philosophies and ways of living your lives as equally valid. So why do people think this way? Well, one reason is that it supposedly makes life more bearable. You see, if you're a Christian, then you have to face this rather unbearable thought that millions of people are going to die and face God's judgment. And that's simply intolerable, isn't it? It's so much better just to believe that that's not true, that Christians have got that point wrong. In any case, there's, there's plenty of unbearable things that happen to be true. The fact that 90% of the world's wealth is held by 10% of the world's people is pretty unbearable, but that statistic happens to be true. The fact that over 20,000 people have probably died in the Japanese tsunami is unbearable, but that statistic is still true. The fact that when I get home this evening, there'll still be children to put to bed and there'll be no food on the table. That's pretty unbearable. And it's still true. You see, the truth is unbearable sometimes. The other other problem with truth is that it gets you into trouble sometimes. You see, there's no conflict in saying, well, you say, you know, what you say is true and what I say is true. They're both true. Isn't that nice? La-di-da-di-da-da. But can we really believe that? You see, isn't there something inside of us, each one of us, that says, no, there is something, there is something that is true, and it's still important to me. So if you believe that it's safe to cross the road, but I've seen the truck that's coming around the bend, and I believe that it's not safe to the road, there's only one truth that matters, isn't it? And that's the truth that pulls out my arm and grabs you and pulls you back onto the pavement again, isn't it? Equally, if somebody has just worked out how to time travel... And they come back to you and they say, did you know that next week's winning lottery number is going to be 28437592? Was it two or was it three? I can't remember. Hang on a minute. I wrote it down somewhere. Hang on, hang on, hang on. There's only one truth that matters, isn't there? Whether it's three or whether it's two. So truth can be painful. It can be unbearable sometimes. And it can lead us into conflict. But let's get back to this question. Can we handle the truth about Jesus? You see, lots of people think that Jesus was a good man and a wise teacher. 
John Stuart Mill, the 19th century philosopher and economist, who was no friend of Christianity, and yet he was fascinated by Jesus. He wrote this, about the life and sayings of Jesus, there was a stamp of personal originality, combined with profundity of insight and the very first rank of men of sublime genius of whom our species can boast. He was the ideal representative and guide of humanity. And Napoleon Bonaparte, also no friend of Christianity, he wrote, I know men, and I'll tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. There is between Christianity and whatever other religion the distance of infinity. Everything in Christ astonishes me. So Jesus wasn't on trial because he was a good man, good teacher, or a fascinating person. There would have been no conflict in that. I think, rather, Pilate would have been inviting him to the palace for tea. Not a quick flogging, a flogging and a quickie crucifixion before the Passover festival began. No, Jesus was on trial because of the truth about him. Can we handle it? You see, Jesus here is tried on three different aspects of his life, and they're worth looking at in more detail. He's tried on his character, his identity, and his actions. Firstly, let's look at his character. Look down at verse 28 again, the beginning of our passage. It says, Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, they did not enter the palace, because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? And they replied, If he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. Notice that. The Jews have been asked a fairly straightforward, straightforward question. What are the charges you are bringing? But they completely dodge it. And they dodge it because there are no criminal charges. Instead, they just simply make an attack on his character. If he were not a criminal, they say. But I think that you actually have to commit a crime, don't you, before you become a criminal. You can't just uh, call somebody a criminal if they haven't committed a crime. So is Jesus really this bad character that the Jews are saying? Well, perhaps he's been accused because he used to hang around with tax collectors and with prostitutes. Perhaps he's been accused because he once turned uh, some very large water jars into uh, bottles of wine. Perhaps he's been accused because one day he happened to be around a herd of pigs and they all uh, seemed to get scared and ran off the edge of a cliff and died. Jesus himself, in Luke 7, he says he's been accused of many things, of being a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors, a friend of sinners. So was Jesus really a bad character because he was a friend of these sinners and because he loved them? Didn't he provide that wine because of what it showed about him? Didn't he heal that man who was kept in chains in the cemetery next to the pigs? Well, Pilate wasn't convinced by this, so he tried a different approach. Verse 33, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, so are you the king of the Jews? So this time not looking at his character, but looking at his identity. Who is Jesus? Perhaps he was a dangerous revolutionary character, plotting to overthrow the Roman authorities in Judea. Perhaps he was a rival to the emperor Caesar himself. If so, he deserved to die and, be, and, and to be made a traitor to the Roman Empire. It would have been an open and shut case, no problem. But Jesus doesn't make it that easy for Pilate, does he? He says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. You and Caesar, in other words, have got nothing to fear from me. And Pilate could already see that, couldn't he? He could see that he didn't have a revolutionary leader in front of him in that sense. 
So he tries this third approach in verse 35. He says, so what is it you have done? He's now come to his actions. What are Jesus' actions? What does he do? So his character is identically tried. Now we're looking at what he's done. So perhaps he's on trial for feeding 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. Or perhaps he's on trial for healing a deaf and a mute man. Or for healing a blind man by spitting in the mud and then rubbing that mud in, your eyes, in his eyes. Perhaps he's on trial because one day he arrived in the village called Bethany and he stood outside the, friend, the tomb of a, of a friend of his called Lazarus and after, who had been dead for several days. And after weeping, Jesus says to the dead man, Lazarus, come out of there. And the dead man walks from that tomb, still covered in his clothes. But there's still nothing here that's going to make Jesus a criminal, is there? So perhaps he was on trial for other things that he did. Like when Jesus calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were so amazed that they asked him, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. On another occasion, the Jews, angry that a well-known paralyzed man had been healed on the Sabbath day, began to plot Jesus' death. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also claiming to be equal with God. So they asked him, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? In other words, they were saying, who do you claim to be exactly? The Jews couldn't stomach the implications of this outrageous claim that Jesus was making, the son of a carpenter, that he was greater than their greatest prophet. So when Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am, they picked up their stones and they tried to kill him. Not only that, but when Jesus arrived at that tomb in Bethany, the dead man's sister, Martha, said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. Jesus turns to Martha and says, your brother will rise again. So not wanting to appear rude, Martha gives that traditional polite answer. Yes, Lord, he will rise again on the last day. But Jesus says, no, Martha, you've not understood. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? You see, Jesus claimed to be far more than a king. Here before Pilate, Jesus says, my kingdom is from another place. Can we handle this truth about Jesus tonight? So you see, here's a guy who can make a claim like, I am the resurrection and life, and he can get away with it. There's something about him which makes his claim seem dangerous to his enemies. He's clearly no harmless lunatic. But there's also something about him that makes his disciples stick by him. So not only did he bring Lazarus back to life, but he went on to attract millions of followers, all of whom believe that Jesus is God. So all of us, all of us, every one of us, needs to work out this question. Who is Jesus? What is his character? What were his actions? What did he do? What is his identity? The best way of doing that is by reading about him, reading about him in one of the Gospels, If you want to come to me afterwards, I'll happily give you one so that you can read it for yourselves and work out these questions for yourselves. Can you handle the truth about Jesus? Do you believe the things that he said about himself? You see, there's so many ways that we could just leave this building tonight and miss this point completely. You see, the Jews who brought Jesus to Pilate, their their position is really tragic. Look back at verse 38 again, and you see that Jews didn't want to enter into the Roman palace because they didn't want to get ceremonially unclean. You see, they wanted to celebrate this Passover feast 
the Passover festival that evening. And if you sort of think about that for a while, it's, it's pretty offensive, isn't it? Here they are, they're turning up at the most important man's house, the most important person in the whole country, and, they, and he says, well, come on in. And uh, they stand around the doormat outside, sort of shifting from one foot to the other, and they say, well, actually, we don't want to come inside because uh, we'd want to, uh, we don't want to make ourselves dirty by being too close to you. You see, we've got this big feast thing going on this evening, and we want to be uh, well prepared for that. You see, this is such a tragedy, because the tragedy of that evening was that they were going to go home that evening, they were going to go back to their families, they were going to find a one-year-old lamb, free from blemish, a perfect lamb. They were going to slaughter that lamb, they were going to paint its blood on the doorposts of their house. They were going to roast that lamb, and they were going to eat it with all their family and their friends, and perhaps some of the needy neighbours who needed a bit of uh, support and and, uh, something to eat that evening. In fact, they were going to celebrate the time when God rescued God's people from Egypt when he told them to slaughter the Passover lamb, to put the blood on their doorposts, so that when the Lord came through Egypt, bringing death and destruction to the households of Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the Israelites were saved. They were saved from death. They were released from slavery in Egypt because Pharaoh decided he could not have these people in his land any longer. They crossed the Red Sea and they entered the Promised Land eventually. So what those Jews were seeing that night, what were they failing to see, was instead of celebrating the Passover festival that evening, they had in their hands the very one, the very true Lamb of God who had come from God, who was their Messiah, their Saviour and their King. And all they were doing, in fact, was playing their part, not in commemorating a past event, but actually bringing about a future event to them, which was the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was a once and for all sacrifice, which means that you and I can be released from the slavery of our sin. We can receive the Holy Spirit and we can enter the promised eternal life, not because of anything that we have done, but purely because of what Jesus did for us on that cross. And some of us here, some of you here may be religious people, You might have been coming to this church for some time. You might be coming to Cypher. You might be joining in with the songs and and, and praying the prayers. You may be reading your Bible, and you might be trying to be kind and good to other people around you. But have you really understood why Jesus had to die on your behalf? Have you understood that it's not about attending church? It's not about attending Cypher or having Christian friends? It's not about, it's actually, it's not even about trying to be good. It's about recognizing who Jesus really is and putting your trust in him. Can you handle the truth about Jesus? Are you taking him seriously? Have you really looked at his character, his actions and his identity and arrived at your own conclusions? Is he really God? If so, then you need to make him your king. You see, these guys, these Jewish leaders, were models of religious observance. They thought they knew everything there was to know about the God that they claimed to worship. But the sad truth is that their religion mattered more to them than their God. So are you doing real business with God? Because when you face these claims of Jesus, you're not really taking him seriously until everything else in your life is negotiable before God. So your attitude to relationships, negotiable. Your attitude to making money, negotiable. Your attitude to how you spend your time, negotiable. Is Jesus your first love 
or is something else more important to you? All of us, I think, need to be constantly asking ourselves that question. And it's when you realize that Jesus is your only hope of salvation that he becomes the only thing that matters in your life. So don't be like those Jewish leaders with their dead religion. The second portrait we get here is of Pilate, the the polite agnostic. You see, Pilate was no fool. You don't get to be governor of a Roman province by being a numbskull. No, part of his job was to understand what was going on in the country where he'd been sent to rule. So he had to know about Judaism and their religious practices, and he wanted to be really tolerant towards them. Just look at how he bends over backwards to accommodate them when they refuse to come inside his house. So he comes outside to them, doesn't he, in verse 29? Then in verse 33, he has to go back inside the palace again. In verse 38, he comes back outside again to talk to Jewish leaders. In verse uh, uh, 1 of chapter 19, he must have gone back inside because in verse 4, he's popping his head out again, once again, to talk to Jews. This is no minor official. This is the Roman governor of the whole province walking in and out of his house like some sort of postboy. But here was Pilate, the polite, agnostic fence-sitter. You see, he was aware of the Jewish God, aware of their beliefs. He was very tolerant, but he was no believer. When Jesus challenges him about his ideas, he says, verse 35, am I a Jew? You might well be the king of Jews, but there's, that's nothing to do with me. You're a Jew, I'm a Roman. Your claims of Jewish kingship, oh, they have no bearing on me. I'm not subject to your jurisdiction. What is the truth anyway? And some of you might be polite agnostics here tonight. Perhaps you're here because somebody invited you along and you didn't want to turn them down. You're aware that your friend is a Christian and that uh, in this church you're probably going to meet a few more Christians. And that's okay because if they want to believe that Jesus is king, then that's fine with them. Uh, What's true for them is true. But you came here thinking that it's got nothing to do with me. They might believe that Jesus is their king, but he's not my king. But Jesus responds in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world, but is from another place. You see, Pilate, the polite agnostic, assumes that Jesus' kingship amounts to nothing more than an insignificant authority over a rabble in the backwater of the Roman Empire they called Judea. But actually, the kingship of Jesus is not bound by any geography. It's not bound by any race. It comes from heaven itself and rules the whole earth. Pilate can't see anything in Jesus' character which is bad. He can't see anything in his actions which are terrible. He can't see anything about his identity to really cause him concern. He says in verse 38, I find no basis for a charge against them. But tolerant, agnostic, fence-sitting Pilate can't handle the real truth about Jesus. It's more important for him to please the crowd, isn't it? To go with the flow. When it comes to the crunch... Are you somebody who can handle the truth about Jesus? Or will you simply hand them over to the crowds so that they can shout for Barabbas? Will you please the crowd or find out for yourself who this Jesus is? Jesus' kingship is not just true for those from Christian homes. It's not just true for those who come to this Christian church. Jesus is the king of the whole world. Can you handle that truth about Jesus. I'm just going to pray. If you haven't ever given your life to Jesus, then this may be a moment that you want to do that.
let's just pray and all of us can just think about who Jesus is and whether we want to give our lives entirely over to him. Lord Jesus, tonight as we come to this passage and we see you before Pilate's been judged, shortly before the time that Jesus was crucified on the cross, we want to admit our guilt and say sorry for the way we have treated you and other people. We have rebelled against you and failed to love you and others as we should. Lord, please forgive us and help us to change. Lord, help us to make us make you our king and say thank you for what you did for us by dying on the cross. Thank you that you suffered for our sin instead of ourselves. Thank you that you love us so much. Lord, we ask that you will come into our lives this evening, that you will give us the gift of eternal life, and the gift of your Holy Spirit to help us to trust and obey you from now on. Amen.